Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, my name is Troy Hoss. I'm your host on New Books in the American West, the channel on the New Books Network. Today I'm speaking with Dr. Gary B. Fogel. He's an adjunct professor of aerospace engineering at San Diego State University and the CEO of Natural Selection Incorporated. He's also the author or co-author of Quest for Flight, John J. Montgomery and the Dawn of Aviation in the American West, and Wind and Wings, the History of Soaring in San Diego. Today we're discussing his new book, Skyrider, Park Van Tassel, and the Rise of Ballooning in the West, published by the University of New Mexico Press in 2021. With a reputation as a hot air balloon capital of the world and the home of the Albuquerque International Balloon Fiesta, the southwestern desert city of Albuquerque frequently showcases the magic and adventure of ballooning. This legacy links back to the 1880s and a man by the name of Park Van Tassel. Through this pioneering flight, Van Tassel not only opened the skies to future generations across New Mexico, but he also opened minds to the possibility of man flight throughout the American West. A charismatic P.T. Barnum-like showman, Van Tassel rose from obscurity to introduce the new science of ballooning and parachuting throughout the West. Van Tassel toured extensively from California to Utah, Colorado, and Louisiana, and later embarking on an international journey that took him to Hawaii, Australia, Southeast Asia, India, Africa, and beyond. Skyrider uh, weaves together the many threads of Van Tassel's extraordinary life, situating him at last in the rightful place among the prominent aerial exhibitionists of his time. Gary, thanks for speaking with me today. I appreciate it. Troy, thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Awesome. Well, uh, as always, I always like to start off with this uh, pretty much the same question. How did you come uh, to write this book? Yeah, great question. So when I was investigating the the Montgomery book that you mentioned, Quest for Flight, uh, Montgomery was a glider pilot in, in California, experimenting with gliders in the 1880s and into the 1900s. Uh, by the time he got to the 1900s in 1905, he was hoisting gliders aloft with balloons and then releasing from the balloon at high altitudes and gliding back down for a public demonstration. Some of those balloons were uh, through the assistance of a gentleman named Park Van Tassel. And at the time, I didn't really take too much notice of that, but it was I was sort of more focused on Montgomery's story than Van Tassel. But I gave a lecture at the Southwest Storm Museum in Moriarty, New Mexico, on Montgomery's life, since he was a glider guy. And in the audience was a gentleman named Dick Brown, who was a Hall of Fame balloonist. And Dick Brown came to me afterwards and said, here's a USB stick of PDFs about this Park Van Tassel gentleman. You should really read these and research Van Tassel because he should be your next book. <laughs> so, okay, so I looked at the PDFs. Very amazing story. So right away, I could see that this gentleman had traveled a lot. And the PDFs were newspaper clippings from different places and different times. But clearly, he was traveling so quickly. It was like, wow, how does he get around? And what was he doing? And there's parachutes and balloons. And it was just this, like, like only seeing, like, 20 pieces of a thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle, right? <laughs> but clearly really fun and interesting. So I started looking at it, and with every jigsaw piece I understood, it would be like, where would he go next on his tour? Like a rock star kind of a thing, like, you know, one city at a time. And they only write about him in Albuquerque when he's in Albuquerque, and he goes off to Salt Lake City, and they write about him there. 
you have to figure out based on the rails where he might go next. Mm-hmm. And that became a real fun jigsaw puzzle in the newspaper archives of figuring out this gentleman's story. Okay. So, so, so you kind of already answered the, the, the follow on, you know, what that research process looked like. So were you really just following him in the newspapers and trying to locate that next stop he was going or? Yeah, there was, there wasn't a lot written about Van Tassel, or I should say of the things that have been written about Van Tassel, a lot of it is wrong. Um, because the time um, newspapers were what they were, and even today we have we have fake news today. There was a lot of fake news back then too. Uh, <laughs> a gentleman like Van Tassel who travels the world, uh, other people even took his name to try to make a similar kind of earning of their life uh, career as an aerial exhibitionist. Uh, other people associated with him took his name to be part of the act that he went around as like a Van Tassel brothers or a Van Tassel sister. Yet it was someone else's actual, you know, actually taking the moniker of the name. Uh, and when these people would unfortunately have a tragedy like a death, someone might say, oh, it was Park Van Tassel that died, but it wasn't really Park Van Tassel that died, it was someone else. And so there were at least three times in the, in the, in the newspapers where Park Van Tassel dies. It's not really him. So yeah. all of a sudden he'll start up somewhere else. It's like, oh, he's still alive. This is great. <laughs> but, but I had to go search lots of different newspaper archives. And very, very amazingly, um, as, as you mentioned, he travels the world. He goes to Australia and India and Southeast Asia. I connected with, for instance, the National Library of Australia, talked with the librarians there who were taking, taking their time to help me through their archives to figure out where he went, it became a became a journey of working with other groups around the world to figure this out. Because as it turns out, and we'll get to it in our in our dialogue, um, Van Tassel took this idea of ballooning and jumping from balloons with parachutes around on an international tour. And as a part of that tour, he introduced women to that aspect of parachuting out of balloons. So, for instance, in Australia, the first women aeronauts, uh, first women to fly were two women associated with Van Tassel's ballooning tour doing parachute jumps in Australia. And so if you ask Australians, they all know that these Van Tassel sisters were the, were the heroes of women's aviation in Australia. But they have no idea the connection back to New, York, New Mexico with Park Van Tassel. They just don't understand that part of it. So linking it all together has helped open up the story and understand it for other, other nations, which is really neat. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I'll kind of get back. I got a question about that, that, that international tour of his. Is that, it, it was... You know, it was one of those things that, like, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't have any expectations, right? I was like, well, what, this, okay, it's hot air balloons. This, this, you know, that's why I picked up the book. But the, I mean, just the sheer, I mean, you, you go back and you compare them to kind of P.T. Barnum, right? I mean, just out there hustling left and right, putting right, on right. spectacle to make money. And right. it, it, it's absolutely fascinating. Right. And so not a lot of people in the 1880s, when he started in 1882 in Albuquerque, were, were thinking about doing that as their career. It was a, uh, you know, his first successful flight in a balloon of any kind was at Albuquerque on July 4th, 1882, and the first flight in New Mexico's history. Uh, and he decides to make a career out of that, being a, a saloon, you know, a, a barkeep. He decides to like change his career path and go do this. And and then you have to think, okay, so you're 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 taking ballooning around the American West. Ballooning had already happened in the East Coast of America, Eastern America, had traveled to California as a part of the gold rush, early balloon flights in the Bay Area. But the American West was kind of not had never seen a balloon before. It was just like, you know, how do people actually fly? Well, it's possible. Yeah. And so to have him show up uh, effectively like an aerial circus, you're like, you know, I'm actually going to finally get to see someone go up in a balloon for the first time. That's amazing. It's like SpaceX is launching today. We're all going to go watch this. Yeah, yeah. We're going to pay our nickel. Uh, but the, he was always creating, how do I make the next 
thing that people are going to want to see. Mm-hmm. And how do I up the game? How do I up my own game? And adding the parachutes, adding the women, mm-hmm. uh, it, was all, it was all part of the act of making it even yeah. more enticing to, to go watch uh, as he did this. And as he progressed through time, he lived in this amazing transition in aviation from lighter than air aircraft might be possible. I've never seen it, but wow, I'm going to pay money to see someone go up in a balloon to parachutes are now, you know, he helps invent the American parachute. Uh, he takes that as a part of the act. The originals come onto the scene heavier than air flight with the Wright brothers. He goes through this whole transition. He ends up passing away in 1930, but what an amazing transition of flight that he's lived through. And every step along the way, he's got competitors that are trying to do the same kind of thing that he's trying to do. So he still has to kind of up the game every time. Uh, and then, as you get older in life, that gets harder and harder and harder to do. Uh, he finally he finally realizes later in his life that recreational ballooning is just fun enough. And so by the time he starts to kind of retire from this, this long career journey, um, he helps clubs form in the Bay Area of San Francisco, uh, Oakland area, uh, specifically for recreational ballooning, which is kind of some of the first aspects of, of what we now consider to be hot air ballooning like in Albuquerque, just doing it for the fun of it and the beauty yeah. of it rather than yeah. making money at it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, well so let, let's kind of go back to the beginning here. So so yeah. exactly who was part Van Tassel? Where was he from? And then how did he get involved in ballooning? Yeah, so he was from Indiana. He was born in 1853 in Indiana and first encountered balloons as a, as a young kid at a, at a village fair in Ohio. And that, that kind of set, him, set in motion this idea that he wanted to also do that. Um, he came to California in 1879, uh, living in Stockton, California in the Central Valley. And he obtained a large balloon from a gentleman named F.F. Martin, who was a balloon experimenter in San Francisco. Those balloons at the time didn't come with a lot of instruction manuals. Uh, and it's pretty much you try it and you, you know, it's a success by trial and fire. Um, these were gas balloons that to begin with. So one has to then find the gas to fill it up. Uh, at the time they were using coal gas. So they would burn coal, uh, take the effluent from the coal that is lighter than air and then fill the bag with the lighter than air gas and hope that that's enough to get you up in the air. He tried to do that twice, uh, once in Stockton and once in Sacramento. Uh, in 1882, 1880, 1880, 1880. And both of those were uh, big fizzles. They didn't work out. Uh, he then, with his wife, moved to Albuquerque, kind of to make a new start in July of 1881, uh, and set up shop as a barkeep in the Opera House in what is now downtown Albuquerque. Uh, at the time, it was Newtown. Um, and while he's there, just starting out new in this small community of Albuquerque at the time, he ships this balloon from San Francisco out and addresses everyone and says, hey, I'm going to go up in a balloon on July 4th, uh, 1882. Uh, come watch. And everyone, you know, barkeep wants to go in a balloon. He's been drinking a lot. What's going on here? Uh, but finally, he, you know, he actually gets it to work. It's getting that balloon set up for that event uh, required two days of gas, the entire city's supply of gas for two days to inflate this balloon, this rather large balloon, two thirds full. And that was not, that was barely enough to lift Park Van Tassel up into the air. He had to remove a lot of the ballast that he would have normally taken with it in the basket. Uh, the ballast was important for coming all the way back down to kind of slow your rate of descent. You throw the ballast overboard, um, but he couldn't take a lot of ballast up with him. Uh, and, and in the morning of July 4th, this balloon is only two thirds full. You know, he's, 
He's like, well, we're going to wait till later in the day when I want to really inflate it as much as I possibly can. So the entire city had come to watch this in the morning and then they just they disappear. They go to Old Town for other other July 4th activities. And by the evening, 615, it's announced that he's ready to launch. They all come back to Newtown by trolley and he launches and successfully goes up to 14,000 feet, uh, survives coming back down again miraculously without a lot of ballast and lands in a cornfield uh, near Old Town. And not only was that his first flight, again, that's the first flight by anyone in all of New Mexico's history, uh, setting in motion a lot of interesting things that happen in New Mexico, because now all of a sudden, New Mexico finally realizes that this is possible, that flight mm-hmm. is possible. And a lot of people become interested in it. Other cities want to have demonstrations. And he tries to make you know, repeats of this at Las Vegas, New Mexico, and again, back in Albuquerque, back in September of 1882, and he can't get it to work. Uh, so everyone now is wondering, you know, does Park really know what he's doing? Is he is he a fraud? Was it lucky the first time? You know, what's going on here? Uh, and and he, he leaves New Mexico with this decision that he's going to not be a barkeep anymore, that he's going to make his life as an aerial exhibitionist and take this technology around the American West by rail um, to show America what, what balloonings like and how cool it is. And that was a big risk uh, for him and not, you know, not, not many people were doing that at that time. And also, unfortunately, his wife returned to California as he went off to Utah to go do this tour. So there was clearly a falling out mm-hmm. uh, with his wife over, over that decision. So um, just, just, you know, remarkable decision-making at that time. Yeah. Well, it's just so that <laughs> you talk about that first flight is at 14,000 feet. And I can't believe he actually made it down, but yeah. this, this, that brings up a good question. An interesting question, right? Is that, um, can you talk, can you kind of explain to our listeners how, you know, a hot air balloon of this period works. And, yeah. and, and, and that was just for me, as I'm reading the book, I, I'm like, yeah. okay, I think I understand, but I'm, I'm always reading a story that like, you know, throughout the, throughout this thing, he's improving this one, or he's making repairs or he's building a new one. So for me, it kind of begged a question, um, I guess kind of, that kind of goes along with, with that first one. How does it work? And every, each one of these steps, is he, is he trying to improve upon his current design or is it really more of a maintenance thing, just trying to make sure, hey, this thing should work as intended? Great, great question. And so I should remark first that the book, when I started writing the book, of course, I'm a, I'm a glider historian guy and I know just a little bit about ballooning. I worked at a balloon company as a kid here in San Diego, um, but I don't, I don't know all the terms. So I, I too was like, you know, what's a gas balloon? What's a smoke balloon? And the book comes with a glossary. So it helps yeah. understand these terms. So that's, that's important. Um, but back in the day, uh, uh, there was this gas balloon again. So using coal gas to um, to keep something lighter than air and have it go aloft. The, the the pilot on board would have a valve to be able to control the amount of gas that's in that bag as it goes up. So when you start the mission, it's as inflated as it's possibly going to be. When you go up, you can release a valve and it's going to release the gas, and then you're going to be coming down. And there's no way, there's no way of adding more gas. You're coming down. And that means that to control the rate of descent, you're going to throw weight overboard to make you lighter, so you decrease your your rate of descent. That's the that's the control system. Mm-hmm. The other type of ballooning at the time was called a smoke balloon, and that was effectively you're going to make a fire uh, under from wood, just burning wood, burning material. Uh, you're going to put a, a bag, a big balloon. You're going to hold it over that fire and capture not only the heat but also the smoke. It's going to fill up that balloon really rapidly. It's very loud, hot air. And you better be ready to go when you're ready to go, because when it's full, you're going to go. And off you go. Uh, again, uh, a valve to control if you needed to to release the hot air. Uh, but again, no way to add more heat 
Mm-hmm. It's a one time you're going to fill it up and you better be able to go. Mm-hmm. The smoke balloons were often used later, as we'll talk about later today, for parachute jumping. So if you're going to go up uh, underneath this hot air balloon that's filled with hot smoke, uh, go up and you're going to jump out. Well, then that balloon's going to come back down on its own somewhere. And no, no person on board is going to float back down again. Mm-hmm. And it's a quick way of not having to w- use the city's gas to get this whole big gas bag filled. You're just going to hold it over the fire, get it filled. And in, in 20 minutes later, you're going up and then it's going to come back down anyway. Yeah. Um, so those were the two main, main, main types. Today, it's very different. So, you know, thanks to Sydney Cutter and other people in New Mexico, we have now modern hot air ballooning, which uses propane and a burner. And you can adjust the amount of heat you have in your balloon at any time you want because you've got the propane, you burn it, and or you can open a valve and come down. Uh, a lot, lot, lot more control. And the current balloons, you know, made of synthetic materials, um, very lightweight, very, very strong, uh, far, far better than the than the cloth that was used before. The the balloon that Van Tassel used uh, in Albuquerque in eighteen eighty two was actually made of cow intestines. So think about piecing cow intestines together. Very stretchy, very stretchy stuff, but it's not going to last long as a balloon. You know, after after like a number of flights, this thing's been expanded and it's been through the bushes and, you know, there's holes in it. You got to patch it up. Pretty soon it's just, you got to get a new balloon. Okay. And a very expensive process of getting a new balloon at the time. Not many makers in America doing that kind of thing. So over time, he'd have to replace the balloons like every month, every two months, even on the tours. And he was always trying to pre- perfect ways of making better balloons, making better valves, making better systems to not have to replace things so often because that was an expense. Yeah. Well, I mean, so, so to that point, right. So just kind of both uh, to improve the the maintenance or the construction of, I mean, from, I suspect that, you know, when he, when he first started up until he retired, you know, hopefully he was only progressing on the technological side, but I mean, from the actual construction, I mean, did he actually end up making a whole bunch of strides and better and better manufacturing or was he, you know, was it kind of, you know, I can always imagine that, you know, maybe he has the idea of the technology hasn't caught up to what's in his head. You know what I mean? You know, how is that playing out? Yeah. So there was a, there was a new type of valve that he helped invent, never patented it. Uh, But more importantly, um, as a part of this, how do I make a better act uh, over time? Um, realized that parachuting would be something he could do and jump out of the balloon with the parachute and come back down again. Um, Of course, that had been done in Europe before him, that had been done even on the East Coast before him. But um, either he didn't know that or no one else knew that in the American West. Mm -hmm. So he's credited often as one of the inventors of the American parachute. But of course, he did invent the parachute, but it may have been in parallel with other people at the the Mm -hmm. time. Um, That invention of the parachute uh, was significant. Of course, it's the parachute we have today. It's got a hole in the top to allow the air to go through. It doesn't do the waffling back and forth as you would if you didn't have that hole, uh, like the European parachutes did in the 1700s. Um, so that 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 parachute was co-invented with a, a gentleman named Thomas Baldwin. Baldwin went uh, across America giving those kinds of exhibitions, taking balloons, jumping out of them with parachutes, and then to England. Uh, making fantastic jumps for hundreds of thousands of people becoming internationally famous as a parachutist and also then patented the parachute without Van Tassel's credit. So those kinds of inventions were made by Van Tassel, but never, you never see the reward for that. Mm-hmm. Later, later on in his uh, older age in the 1920s, he, he patented a, a toy parachute. So a slingshot, 
that rubber band uh, little toy model of a parachutist fling it up and it comes back down for kids that he did parachute uh, patent but again that's not really that's not really helping modify technology to, to get it to be better over time yeah um, yeah so i would say more of a tinkerer uh, than a, an actual like Thomas Edison, Nikola Tesla kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was more about keeping the show on the road and still having enough uh, uh, revenue over expenses. Okay. Yeah. And so, so that, that gets back to the, you know, we mentioned, you know, or you'd mentioned he's a PT part of Mike Showman. Um, and you've already kind of talked about it, but do you mind just going a bit more detail about, you know, really what you meant by that? Because um, as I'm reading this book, it's it's in my head i'm like it's one spectacle after another whether it's successful or not right so i'm wondering could you just kind of kind of elaborate oh yeah definitely definitely so of course um it's very interesting to read these newspapers at the time i would encourage people to go do that because it's really fun to go back and read what people were like uh uh, of course you know when when a gentleman shows up in your town to do a balloon exhibition Part of it is just the audacity that someone's going to go up in a balloon. That's just amazing on its own. But mm-hmm. there's a whole other sector of people that were very interested in the, the near-death experience of doing that. And there's one story, for instance, when he's traveling around, he, he did the parachute jump. Uh, this was his first parachute jump in Seattle, uh, first parachute jump of his life. He goes up in the balloon over Seattle. He jumps out with the parachute. He's holding on to an iron ring to the, that's, that's got the parachute. He's just hanging on with both, both two hands. and the parachute does not open for the first 500 feet of his fall, which is, you know, pretty, pretty daunting uh, if when you're doing this for the first time. And then all of a sudden it opens with tremendous force, you know, bang. Okay. And he loses the grip of one arm and he's holding on with this iron ring with one hand. And so the newspaper reporters thought that was the best part. They nearly died. And, you know, that was the most exciting part. It wasn't about the balloon being cool and the parachute being cool. It was this near death thing that was to make the papers, right? And he survives. Uh, he did almost exactly the same thing on his second parachute jump in San Francisco. Same kind of thing happened. And that caused him to not really want to do parachute jumping much himself anymore. Uh, he hired aer- other aeronauts and trained them to do that. Uh, there were younger folks, uh, maybe with more bravado than he did um, as part of the act. It still had to happen. It just wasn't going to be him. Yeah. Um, but the tour, you mentioned the, the tour, he really... So think about all the railways in the American West from city to city. And the race was on uh, against other people that were catching on to this idea. Who would be first to the next biggest city to be the first one to do it and then reap the most rewards? He traveled to Salt Lake City, gave the first balloon flight in Utah's history, traveled to Portland, first balloon flight in Portland's history, also Salem, uh, Seattle, Denver, Kansas City, uh, really just, you know, major cities by rail. With, with rather large expense around, you know, holding this, carrying this balloon with you around with a basket and all the rest of it, plus your ticketing, um, not cheap. Um, there were enough people by the 1890s, by 1890, to do in competition with him, even, even doing ballooning with parachute jumping like he was, uh, uh, with women, uh, just like he was, uh, trying to be uh, you know, against him effectively as competitors that he realized it's time to take it sort of international mm. uh, rather than just on the rails. And so he arranged to have a very large journey by ship uh, from California to Hawaii, to Australia, to Indonesia, China, Philippines, Burma, India, Africa, South Africa, um, Persia, into Europe, back to India, and then back to California over the period of about 10 years of bringing ballooning and, and parachuting to the world. 
And what's what's rather amazing is that, as I mentioned earlier, um, there's this connection to Australia. Some of the the, the, the women that he had associated with him in this troop uh, were the two first women to fly in Australia's history. Uh, Gladys Van Tassel and, and Valerie Van Tassel. Not, they didn't have Van Tassel as their real last name. That was their moniker, but uh, they, they joined the troops. So now they were Van Tassel sisters. Um, uh, the first woman to fly, the first person, any, any person to fly in Bangladesh's history was a lady named Jeanette Van Tassel. Her real name was Jenny Rummery. Uh, but, you know, she was the first to fly in Bangladesh's history. If you ask Bangladesh aviation historians, they, they credit Jeanette Van Tassel was their first aviator. Park Van Tassel was the first to fly in Sri Lanka's history. Uh, so you just go, you know, he went around the world. He was so ahead of it that um, that he was right on the edge of what was possible and what people were doing at the time. And that made it really fun and interesting. Uh, so really, the exhibitions were, were truly sensational, like SpaceX or where their launches are today. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just like I like that he's like all right I, I do you one better I'm gonna do this for ten years somewhere. Exactly. <laughs> well, and, and so also, yeah, no. So Troy, also, you know, there were still competitors that were tracing around the world. It was very much like the Great Race or or like around the world in eighty days kind of thing. Uh, there was a gentleman uh, named Percival Spencer from the UK. Another gentleman, uh, Thomas Baldwin, uh, was also now you know his his ex partner that had taken the technology was also touring around the world in competition with Van Tassel. To bring this technology around and other nations were very interested in this in western technology so for instance japan this is right at the same time as emperor meiji's uh, meiji restoration of japan he wanted to bring western technology in largely to understand it for military purpose mm -hmm. and you know understand if you know what what could be used where for warfare and you got to understand like the idea of parachuting that's a pretty pretty important idea uh, in a military <laughs> yeah. context and so a lot of these people were, were, were showing this technology, not just for, for the public to enjoy, but also to get to the governments to say, hey, you know, can you license the technology or buy the technology? Mm -hmm. uh, and Japan was very interested in that. So was China. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's it, it's just one of those things. It, it's as I'm reading the story, I'm just kind of like, you got to be kidding me. Really? You know, it, it's I'm like, it's just I'm like, what what? Uh, yeah, I don't have quite the right. Well, the, the word I want to use is probably not family pretty, but like, <laughs> there this guy's just such bravado. a fascinating yeah. concept. Right, right, right. Um, so, so how did he actually pay for all this? And so that that's because that's the thing I'm, I, I I was I was curious about. Um, you know, was it pure ticket sales? Did he have investors either throughout the entire time or along the way? For the international stuff where government's kind of sponsoring his trip in you know how, how did how was he able to pay for all this in the long run excellent question um yeah really insightful uh of course when he started he's just a balloon keep uh, barkeep so he balloon keep that's a good one uh he's a barkeep he doesn't have a lot of a lot of money uh his wife's left him and it, it really is just him on the road making ends meet uh, so at each stop he would charge money for people to come see the balloon up close so they have an enclosure, a, a gated area where you could be close to where the balloon's being filled with gas or being or in that smoke balloon. You could actually help hold the ropes, that kind of thing. And you know, you'd pay money to be in that enclosure. Of course, it's a balloon. So as soon as it lifts off, everyone's going to see it in the entire town. You don't have to be near the enclosure. You just you just look up. Right? Yeah. So so, you know, at most of these events, like, you know, 90 to 95 percent of the people weren't paying. They're just watching from outside, mm -hmm. but there'd be the 5% that would still go inside and pay. And that was his revenue. So mm -hmm. that was really the way he would make money. So he literally had to do these kinds of trips 
and events to keep it all going. It wasn't it wasn't a sponsorship by government or anything like that. Even when he went abroad, um, uh, there there were there was interest, as I mentioned, from governments. But I'm, there's no record of him getting paid by a government for any of this kind of stuff. But he was doing demonstrations for very wealthy people. So in India, especially, uh, a lot of the you know upper class. Uh, um, you know, owners, landowners, uh, you know, uh, governors, that kind of thing. They would, they would, they would give him money, large sums of money, to do these kind of private events. So it would be like a private SpaceX launch, right? You know, like you're, <laughs> you, to show that to show your neighbor, uh, your neighbor governor, I got Park Van Tassel. Can you get Park Van Tassel? I don't think you can get Park Van Tassel. I got him. <laughs> He's coming to my birthday. That kind of thing, right? So, uh, so when he got to India, he actually made a lot of money in India um, at that time, and. Uh, you know, India was not a not it was a very have or have not kind of place, um, but he was definitely in with the have crowd. Um, there was one sponsorship he did arrange uh, in London, uh, a, a balloon flight that he wanted to make across uh, all of India from Calcutta to Bombay. And a newspaper called the London Graphic sponsored the, the balloon that he was going to use. Unfortunately, that flight was never done. Um, he had a tragedy happen before that could that event could take place. Um, there were other ways of making money. Uh, when he was in California uh, in the 18, uh, 18, 18, late 18, yeah, sorry, 18, 1880s, late 1880s, uh, a gentleman named uh, William Randolph Hearst, who has just at the time become editor of the San Francisco Examiner, hired Mark Van Tassel to take a photographer aloft in a balloon because people had seen the balloon go up, mm -hmm. but they had not seen what it looks like to look from the balloon down on their city. So he took the photographer up. It's very difficult as a photographer. You big glass plates and you've got this big camera and you can't move that much, but the balloon's moving. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. So to get a still picture was really, really, really hard. But they managed to get some still photos and show them in the newspapers. Some of those photos still exist of San Francisco and also Los Angeles. And those those pictures were the first aerial photos of California. Mm -hmm. And also um, again, showing the public what how, how amazing aviation is, how cool it is, what it's like to be in the air and look down on a city. Um, just, you know, thinking differently about te technology and what it means to people or the public perception. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so, yeah. I would say with the, 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 uh, the Hearst, um, you know, take the, the photographer up. Like Lily is just saying that all of a sudden my light bulb, light bulb goes off and I'm like, oh, every aerial photograph of a city that I've seen around the turn of the century is probably done in Hollywood Berlin. Yeah, it's it's either it's either a balloon with a, a um, like a like a gas balloon, like I've been mentioning, or it's even tethered. So the ones that Parker and Tassel were doing were just they're just free flowing. You just go up and you're going to take your guy and you better fly over the right part of the city and take a photo and come back down somewhere else. <laughs> Hopefully you don't land in the, and the camera doesn't get damaged in landing, which sometimes happens. Yeah. Uh, but usually it was with a tethered balloon. So they they put a, a balloon up on a rope with a winch and you hoist it up to 2000 feet, take your photos and you reel it back in again. Mm. Uh, easier landing. Uh, and still, still uh, balloon. It's not going to move around. Okay. Um, so, and and also, of course, balloons have had a, a fantastic military opportunity for a long time. Even since the Civil War, balloons were used in America for reconnaissance. So, a similar kind of idea. You could put someone up there to watch things. Um, and that's been a that's been a tremendous opportunity for ballooning. But that's mm -hmm. not necessarily exhibition. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, let me see. Hold on. Let me get caught. Here we go. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, so he does that world tour, right? Um, and so it's kind of one of those things, one of my favorite, I think, parts of the book or the chapter, I think is that last one when he comes back. Um, 
And, and, and so what kind of a, an aviation world did he return to once that tour was complete? To me, to me, that transition in aviation's history was um, just uh, uh, just amazing. So it, it, it's, it's hard for I think I know we think that technology is going fast right now because it is. But, you know, to, to start your career when when like ballooning is just maybe a thing, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. And there's no instructions to come back to California, uh, unfortunately, after having a stroke in India. Uh, to come back to California and see dirigibles for the first time, mm-hmm. powered balloons that people are now flying around California, and and to see gliders, you know, heavier than air aircraft being used, and not long after to have powered aircraft be a real thing, uh, that is that's like amazing technology generation that you can't. It's hard to describe, especially for someone of Van Tassel's age who's who suffered suffered through all the the difficulties of it starting. Uh, so it's like, oh, wow, it's really easy now. And so many people got interested in that kind of technology in aviation. And, uh, and San Francisco was a real hotbed of this activity in the American West that he became really captivated, not only by the rituals, uh, but also just, again, the recreational aspect of taking people aloft for the fun of ballooning. Uh, so he helped in the formation of the Oakland Aero Club and the Pacific Aero Club. Uh, these were competing clubs, uh, one in San Francisco, one in Oakland and uh, generally had balloon races. These are some of the first balloon races in America's history, uh, taking off from San Francisco generally, and then traveling south in the prevailing wind towards San Jose. Uh, some of these are just harrowing uh, uh, races. People you know, trying to do whatever they can to beat the, beat the competition, but they end up landing in the bay or they end up landing in the, in the, in the in part of the bay that's kind of like swampy and then the balloon kind of drags across and people break their legs when it drags across and stuff. Every, every, every flight's a total adventure. And he's, a, he's an elderly man by that point. It's a, it's a daring thing to do, even as an elderly man, but, but it's the fun of it. It's the spirit of it. And it really kept, it kept that same spirit that he had when he was in New Mexico of just the fun of ballooning rather than worrying about the expense of it all. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure how he was, how he managed to survive and get an income at that time. It was near the end of his end of his career anyway. But I think people kind of looked out for him as the elder statesman. They would kind of make sure that he was taken care of at that time. Um, so yeah, a lot of fun. He also was hired um, for a short period of time uh, by the Goodyear company, Goodyear Rubber Tire Company, uh, to advertise their tires on top of buildings in San Francisco. San Francisco is a rather, rather windy place. And so the idea was to have a balloon that could be aloft over a building to have the banner of Goodyear on it, but shape it in an aerodynamic way, like a blimp, such that the, it could stand the, the, the winds and not come down. And so some of Goodyear's first efforts in blimps for advertising were through Van Tassel on the top of San Francisco's buildings. Uh, and that's just a totally forgotten thing that I happen to find in the newspapers, but it's pretty cool. That is yeah. pretty cool. That is yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so so let's um, kind of start to to wind down here. Um, yeah. So I was like, kind of, I was like to end it this way. Uh, how, how can this book help uh, you know our well, not readers, listeners, better understand the American West? Wow, great. Uh, so the first thing I want, yeah, great question. First thing I want to say is. Um, not only was Van Tassel pioneering, and of course, if you're in New Mexico, uh, you now know who was the first to fly in your state, which is, again, fantastic. Um, but Van Tassel, I think the most important thing is he opened up the skies to, to, to people. So I understand that flight was possible and that they could do it too. He really inspired a lot of people to get into flight. And that was not just for men, that was for women too. So 
The first person to make a parachute jump in the American West was Van Tassel's wife, Clara, uh, wife number three, I think that was, of five. Um, and, you know, very daring woman to jump out of Park's balloon with a parachute, but she survived over Los Angeles, that first parachute jump. And so, you know, making sure that women were included in this in a time where they were just going through suffrage and coming into their own, uh, really opening the skies for them, too. I think it was very important to the American West at that time. Uh, the technology, the importance of not only the aviation that was going on, but the, the systems of moving around, the, the ability to be able to go from city to city by rail. If that had not been there, you would not have had that career. Mm -hmm. So it was, the, it was the timing of being able to, to have the transport that allowed that to happen at the right time. And that transport had like basically just come to Albuquerque had just come to cities like San Diego. And so it was a brand new thing, you know, like this guy's going by rail. How cool was that? He always got a balloon. How cool was that? It's a really, it was a really forward thinking uh, aspect. And then to realize that he took the technology that he first got to work in New Mexico and basically brought that to the American West and then the world. Um, and then, you know, and then returned. Uh, but it's not just him that returned. So, you know, now we have the Albuquerque Balloon Fiesta every year in Albuquerque. And Albuquerque is now like the ballooning capital of the world. Uh, because it's a fantastic location for ballooning, as it turns out, because it's got exactly the right currents where you can take off in a balloon from Albuquerque, kind of go along the ground at, at ground level in a, in a southerly current and go up in the air and then and then go back in a, in, a, in a northerly current back over the field where you took off from, come back down and like land right back where you started. <laughs> in ballooning, that's like, you know, that's very difficult. That kind of box is unheard of. But in Albuquerque, that happens a lot, especially in the fall. And so... Um, it's, an, it's a magical thing. I had the great pleasure of being in Albuquerque last October for the fiesta. And it's just a magical thing to see 400 balloons in the air doing the box coming around and landing back on the field. So that's just amazing. Uh, so, you know, now the world comes back to Albuquerque because it's a great place to do ballooning. But Van Tassel was the first to kind of open those skies. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, uh, that's the legacy that I think he should remember for. Yeah, and that's, that's a great point too, right? Is that like someone had to do it first. Right. So people could go, oh, that's possible. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And and he's he, you know it's unfortunate he passed away in 1930 uh, in the height of the Great Depression. His uh, sister, who is his nearest relative at the time, uh, could not afford more than just a simple burial. So he's been buried in an unmarked grave uh, in Oakland uh, all this time. And I've just set up a GoFundMe campaign to get a marker on his grave this year, uh, which I just ordered uh, just last week. Uh, and hopefully we'll get that installed uh, in the fall of this year uh, on his grave site. Cool. So finally bringing some honor, honor to him. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. All right. So, so, so last one. Um, so what's next for you? Are you working on any other research projects right now after the, the great yeah. Bill's adventure? Wow. Yeah. No. So I've been kind of taking a break. Uh, each of these books takes time. Um, the Van Tassel book was, uh, it's fun. It really, I, I enjoy the research just as much as the writing. And it was the case that um, for my business, I used to, I, I still do travel a lot to DC, but now it's traveling by Zoom more than plane. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I used to write a lot on the airplanes uh, when I'm, when everyone else is watching a movie, I'm writing a book. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's fun to write about aviation when you're in an airplane. Mm -hmm. That's totally cool. <laughs> uh, so uh, I haven't been traveling as much, which is interesting. So it's kind of like, hmm, how do I write a book when I'm not on a plane? Uh, but I do have some ideas. Um, uh, I haven't yet picked the next journey, but I will get one soon and uh, and get off and writing something, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, whatever it is, I, I look forward to reading it uh, whenever uh, it comes off the presses. How's that sound? Thank you, Troy. I appreciate that. It'd be great to be back with you, too. 
<laughs> awesome. All right. Well, well, Gary, again, thank you so much. Uh, thanks for this fascinating discussion about one part Van Tassel. Um, and I encourage everybody to go pick up a copy of the book uh, wherever you can find it. All right. Thank, thank you. you for having me, Troy. Thank you.